0: Host Plus has been named Super Rating Super Fund of the Year for 2023. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. This This is Mornings Mornings with Ben Davis Davis. on SENQ. Yeah, Benny's away on uh, assignment with Seven. He's out of training at the moment with the Lions at Springfield. So we'll chat to him after the headlines with Vanessa at 11.30. The new McCrispie from Maccas is their next big thing. Try it Saturday before or after the big game. As we've been discussing throughout the morning here, uh, the Wallabies, what is going on? It's sort of a a never-ending question. isn't it? almost a rhetorical question. If someone knew the answer, the problem would have been solved. But the loss to Wales, and as I mentioned at the top of the program, not just the loss, the way uh, the Wallabies were beaten 40 points to 6. We now take on Portugal, the last game of the World Cup for the Wallabies, who thought we'd be questioning whether or not we'd be good enough to beat Portugal. Surely... We will be good enough to beat Portugal, but the post-mortem has already started into the Wallabies and their World Cup performance in 2023. One man that uh, has been watching and I'm sure has uh, a a strong opinion about what uh, is happening with rugby in Australia is former Wallaby and Stan sport commentator Stephen Hoyles, who joins me now. Stephen, thanks for your time, mate. No worries, Mark. Thanks for having me. It must be so difficult for a former Wallaby to watch uh, and see what's happening as this side is beaten, so comprehensively by Wales, not get through to the quarterfinals. If it's hard for us as a fan, it must be even harder for, for someone that's worn that gold jersey. Yeah,
1: look, I think it's equally hard for any Australian who cares about their sport. So, yeah, I don't think it hurts even more just because we've played for them. I just think any proud Australian is probably feeling the pain. And it's, um, yeah, it was difficult to watch. I was over there the week before and I watched the Fiji game live. And it's probably the first time I, as a, you know, fan or a past player, or sat in the stand, and and just felt that we were not up to it. Um, so I was really worried going into the the Wales game, and uh, I'm not I'm not proud of the fact that I actually tipped Wales on air before the game. I don't think I've ever tipped against the Wallabies. I wasn't back in Wales, but I just didn't think this group of players w- were good enough to get the result against Wales. And um, as it turned out, it that was the case, and we were way off the pace. We were we were in it for a fair while, but um, the scoreline probably reflects where the game's at as a whole. It's, I think the start, the way the game evolved, you know, a couple of the decisions we, we made during the game, we turned down points when it was, I think it was 10-6 at the time, and that that one decision to not take points and then the result to kick to the line, we missed the line out, they kicked all the way down the end of the field. That kind of summarised um, the inexperience in the game at the moment, so really difficult times, but also really um, unique opportunities for the game to see if they're if they've got the courage to make some tough decisions, to, to make the changes that are required.
0: Yeah, they're the fundamentals, though, too, Stephen, aren't they? I mean, that line-out throw, I mean, it never went anywhere near a wallaby.
1: Yeah, look, if you watch closely, it was... Uh, there's, you can break it down a million ways. It was it was a call that had a player that had the you know, technical term slip out of the line-out and just literally he, slipped, he tripped over and okay. foot slipped and they, they didn't go up. So it was, it was a poorly executed decision. It was also the... Um, the wrong call that 's that 's the reality of it, and it was the wrong call because the opposition line out weren 't jumping in the air it was an easy win if they just you know threw the ball and jumped and in line out terms you just call that a throw jump, and we made it too difficult to, for us to execute. We slipped over but but that actually just summarized probably the the inexperience where we're at at the moment and um yeah that that was one moment, and then yeah that didn 't ruin the game for us, but we definitely self employed in that second half.
0: This is not something that's just happened overnight either, Stephen. You know, Dave Rennie was sacked 12 months out from a World Cup. I mean, that infamous press conference with Eddie Jones before the team, you know, even left, uh, you know, at the airport. Um, Things have been bubbling along for some time, haven't they? In your opinion, uh, where is the greatest area of need? Is it at the top or is it at the bottom?
1: Um. Yeah, look, I think everything, you know, it starts at the top. I think we've had a, we've had a failing professional system for the last fifteen years. And if you look back to where that came from, like, yeah, you know, we won two World Cups when the game on the, you know, the amateur game, and then when the game went early professional, Australian rugby was leading the way in how the game dealt with professionalism. Our coaches were, sortly highly respected all over the world because Australia really started the professional game in a in a fashion ahead of the rest of the world, and. We we added a four Super Rugby team in I think 2006 with the Western Force coming in, and then we added the Melbourne Rebels um, in 2011 or somewhere around that time. And that was that was private money. Harold Mitchell was the, was the man that backed the Melbourne Rebels, but he pulled out of that about five years later, and Australian Rugby were left with that with that um, financially you know, inadequate model. And and as a result, now we've got five teams. The Brumbies have been really successful. They develop great players, they run an excellent program, but they don't sell enough tickets, they don't get enough bums on seats. Um, It's one of the best programs you'll see in World Rugby in terms of getting players better the Brumbies, but they're not financially successful at the moment. You've got two Super Rugby teams that are on the verge of 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 going broke, and that's the Waratahs and the Brumbies. So something really needs to change. Um, And a lot of people will get angry when you talk about reducing the number of Super Rugby teams. Uh, and I don't know if that will actually solve the problem in its own. If you want to keep five teams, we've got to have an open market with the New Zealanders. We've got to have a, a, a trade agreement where they're all back can play, you know, like a, a bit like a league. The New Zealand Warriors can have play, or New Zealand can have players playing in Sydney, and in the NRL but they can still qualify for, for New Zealand. That that might actually make Super Rugby a little bit more entertaining. But at the moment, five teams, um, and is, is too many for the Australian market to. To service and too many of our good players are overseas because the salary cap isn't enough in Super Rugby because there's not enough money. So there are a lot of problems, but there, there, this um, you know this overnight or last couple of days of of World well, Rugby failing for the Wallabies, it probably gives us a chance to to really assess what needs to change.
0: So how critical then is it? What's the time frame in that respect? Is there? A limited window of trying to get this right before the next World Cup or is it a long-term fix? Where are we at in that respect then?
1: Look, the, the thing that is saving us all here is the game is so healthy from a global point of view. Every the, the, the Ticket sales in the World Cup in France are at like you know, 95%. You can't get a ticket over there. It's so popular. Every Every stadium is close to packed out. So the game's healthy at that level. We're going through a really unsuccessful period. So... Uh, I think we need to look at the long term. As much as we're hosting the tournament in four years, what we've done in the last ten years, when it, when it's been Neil McKenzie or Robbie Deans or Michael Checker or Dave Rennie, we've always looked at how we can turn it around in the next 12 to 18 months. And that's not that hasn't worked for us. So we need to look at how we can turn it around in the next 10 years. And that's not to say we can't have success in a shorter period of time. And and to be fair, Eddie went with that. You know, he was brave enough to go with a really young squad but it's backfired on him because they weren't, you know, that young squad still should have been sprinkled with a little bit more maturity, just with some players that could have got us through to the pool stages. So I think the most disappointing thing for fans at the moment is this was a a pool, no disrespect to Fiji or Wales, they played really well and they've clearly performed better than we have, but this is a pool that we could have qualified out of into the quarterfinals. So um, the game needs to look at a long-term solution. Like, Certain parts of the country, people will say, oh, the game's not given enough to to grassroots and club footy. I coach club footy in Sydney. I've got kids in junior sport and junior rugby in Sydney. That's really healthy. I can't speak on behalf of bush rugby, but club rugby in Sydney, school rugby in Australia is healthy. Women's rugby is growing at a really good rate. Uh, Sevens rugby is, is excellent. We've got two of the best teams in the world in sevens. It'll go to the Olympics next year. So there are a lot of good parts of the game. It's just our professional tier of men's rugby and our Wallaroos and Wallabies aren't performing well enough and we need to assess why.
0: Are we playing enough? You talk about super rugby and and the super rugby season starts in February and it seems to be over in the blink of an eye and then all of a sudden those players are going to be playing test matches against the All Blacks, South Africa and Argentina. Are we playing enough uh, super rugby against quality sides to improve those players so that when they get to the Wallaby level that they are at test level?
1: I think we're playing enough Super Rugby because that's what, you know, New Zealand are playing the same number of games as us. What we're not doing enough of is when there's this gap between Super Rugby and Test Footy and there's this gap in the calendar. And I'll use I'll use an example of Dylan Peach and Ben and, and Ben Donaldson because they play at the club where I coach Randwick. We got Dylan Peach for 40 minutes this year because he was in and out of Wallaby training camps and Australia A programs. We didn't see Ben Donaldson at all. And Ben Donaldson probably went about eight weeks without playing any games of rugby because he was training with the Wallabies. And in and, a and World Cup year, you, you probably do understand why players are held out of club footy a little bit more because, you know, there's a little bit more risk with injury. But overall, young guys aren't playing enough games of rugby. If you're looking at a schoolboy level and an under-20s level, um, you know, we've got... Look at England rugby sisters, for example, in New Zealand. They're probably playing 35 to 40 games a year our equivalent of under-20s kids, like Australian under-20s players, there'd be some of them that are lucky to have played 20 games this season. And their bodies are capable of playing a lot more. And as young guys, when your body's resilient and you're good enough and physical enough to tolerate more games, you've got to play. Like, No matter what anyone says, playing games and the the pressure of competition and the, the lessons you learn from making mistakes and losing games and failing on the field they're far more valuable than you've been in a high-performance training program or an academy. or um, And I do think that's one of the reasons. Like I, I really think we're very protective of the, the number of games and the number of kilometres players run and train. And, yeah, I think we've actually got to go a little bit more towards an old-school approach and get them out there playing and, and get them playing grade football against men and losing games and, and understanding why they lose. We don't want Test Rugby to be... a a venue where people have to learn how to how to improve. Like, yeah, you're always going to evolve as a player, but we've got too many young guys at this World Cup that are not experienced enough at the international level.
0: Fascinating insights, mate. Really enjoyed speaking to you. Just before I let you go, we are going to beat Portugal, aren't we? <laughs> I shouldn't even be asking that.
1: If we don't, I don't think I'll take this call. Oh, dear. Long, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty confident we'll get them. And look... This might be a really good reflection of the side when there's, you know, as much as we think there's there's no pressure on them anymore. They they're not going to make the quarterfinals. They're going to go out there with probably like a, a burst of energy and just want to play footy off the cuff, and that might actually help them. So, mm. yeah, I'm confident we'll beat Portugal. Um, but you know, stranger things have happened, and I I probably my tipping results this year haven't been that great as a as a Wallaby fan.
0: I shouldn't even be asking you that question. I apologise for that in the first place, mate. Really, that's
1: okay,
0: mate. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, and uh, fascinating, fascinating insight. Thank you.
1: No worries, mate. Cheers, mate. Stephen
0: Hoyles. Now you can watch all the action from Rugby World Cup Twenty Twenty Three on the home of rugby, Stan Sport. Every match, ad free. Live in the four K, live in the four K Ultra HD, and on demand, including full replays, mini matches, and highlights for every game.